week's episode of the Stephen Perkins Podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins, the Editor-in-Chief of the Outset Network. And boy, we are entering a new season now. This is our fall lineup on the Outset Network. And you may notice the show has now been moved to Saturdays. I'm not salty about it. No, I'm actually, this works out quite well because it gives me more time to record and prepare. But uh, we are excited for this new fall lineup. On Mondays, we have the week started off with Second Look from Benjamin Green. On Tuesday, we hear from Blake Hudson and his podcast, Bright Start. Wednesday is Young Guns, the official outset panel show. Thursday is Maliberty, Caleb Franz's libertarian-friendly show. Uh, Friday is The Bigger Picture, which we just released our first full story episode about John Tyler yesterday, if you're listening on Saturday, and I recorded it, so please go give it a listen. And then on Saturdays is my show, and as the Lord would prescribe, on Sundays we rest and wear pink, something like that. Anyways, I'm so happy to be back um, in this new season. This is, of course, the show where I interview up-and-coming conservative activists, uh, business people, uh, media professionals, and I learn about what motivates them, and I learn more about them, and hopefully you learn more about them too. This week's guest is one of my favorite people. Not only does he have the best name, or at least the best first name in the world, uh, but he also just has such a great personality and a heart, I can really tell, a heart for helping people, uh, and specifically helping conservatives win which is the mission of the organization he works with, Leadership Institute. My guest this week is Stephen Rowe. And yes, that is Stephen with a PH. Among other things, Stephen Rowe is a Taylor Swift fan, but he's also the deputy director of digital trainings for the Leadership Institute in Washington, D.C. He has an incredible story and also, I just think, a great outlook on life. And so please, welcome to the new season. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Stephen Rowe. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on my show. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've been excited to have you because uh, you are with an organization called Leadership Institute. And uh, it's it's an organization with a great history, um, great alumni, and, and great training all the same. And so excited to talk about what some of that entails, but also get to know you a little more and, and help the audience get to know you a little more. Because on this show, of course, we interview up-and-coming conservative leaders. I think you certainly uh, match that description. Um, And so let's take it back to the very beginning. Where were you born and raised? What was child Stephen Rowe like? (laughs) As happy as ever. That, That smile has always been there. I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado. But I was raised in Montana at a, from a very young age, so Montana is my identity. And if you have met anybody from Montana, you know that there's a strong ratio there. It's a two-to-one ratio, two cows for every human, almost consistently. And uh, also, there were seven black guys there before I left, and now there's six. There's so six. Uh, we're working on that a little bit. The U.S. Census Bureau isn't a big fan of me moving uh, as of late, but I'm telling my brother he's got to stay. He's got to stay. But in, in Montana, that's where I, I first got my legs and just learning about life itself. Really enjoyed it. It's a beautiful atmosphere. It has stunning views. If I could recommend one thing is to go to Glacier National Park instead of Yellowstone National Park. Just that jaw-dropping beauty that I would argue can't be beat in the United States. But uh, everybody has their opinion about uh, what they like best in terms of nature. 
So that's that's where it all started. I was raised in uh, with a with a mother and a father and a brother, and uh, us four made it work every single day. And I was blessed and fortunate enough to um, be raised through a, a Catholic school system, and eventually made my way off to who I am today. So what brought your family to Montana? Because that's such a, like, I've been in Montana. It is a beautiful place. I have family in Montana. Um, what, what guided you guys to that area? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of a, a funny story. My mother is a full blood Native American, uh, part of the Rosebud Sioux tribe. And she was adopted at childbirth by a Norwegian family who owns a farm in Montana. Now, my father is a Panamanian and moved here, immigrated here legally. I feel like I have to say that these days. But he immigrated here uh, at the age of 12 and came to New York with his family. My mother wanted to go see the big city. Eventually, they, uh, her and my dad had met in New York, had me, and wanted to move out west and not raise me in what they call the concrete jungle in the east. And so they moved to Denver, Colorado, and then eventually Colorado Springs, Colorado. And then I was born in Colorado Springs. Now, eventually, they wanted to be closer to family, and that Norwegian family with uh, a farm in Montana ended up being where we went. So that's where I was raised in Montana, very close to Colorado, and I have a Norwegian grandmother. I love her dearly. I know all the things about lefse and hot dish, and just really raised uh, with, a, with a loving atmosphere. Very nice. Well, the only thing I know about Norway or countries in that region is Ikea, but I'm not going to, to be insulting <laughs> Uh, because there's much more to it, but that, that that's a really cool story. But am I correct to say that there's not a whole lot to do as a kid in Montana? I would say every Friday night there was always a, a high school football game to go to. Okay. But besides that, yeah, it was pretty pretty low key. So yeah. uh, we had books to entertain us instead of uh, instead of what most people experience in the city. Yeah, sounds like a similar, really a similar thing to like small town Texas. It's really life revolves around football and and things like that. So, well, very cool. Um, so where did you end up going off to school and uh, and was it outside of Montana that you went? I stayed inside of Montana. I went to Montana State University, go Bobcats. We're an FCS football team. Not very good. We lost our first game this year, but it's totally fine. Uh, so it was there where I originally started my career studying political science and computer science. However, to graduate in four years, I quickly realized that I wouldn't be able to accomplish them both at the same time. So because I, I like to stay busy outside of school, I picked the, you know, in a sense, the easier path in terms of graduating with a political science degree and a minor in history. So I could spend more time focusing on internships and getting involved in campaigns and things like that. Still love computers, but just wanted to focus on where I could maximize my time in college. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I, I uh, kind of reduced the the uh, the load there to graduate with political science on time. So I get that. Um, but computer science, we'll talk a little bit about the kind of the trainings that you guys do. And I think that certainly uh, leads into that. Um, let's go back for a quick second. What, what, what were your parents like? Were they my big question that I always ask is, were they politically engaged? And if not, how did you become politically engaged? Definitely. So my parents were very apathetic initially. They had some opinions, but they really didn't voice them at all in the household. And it wasn't until I came out my junior year of high school saying, I'm a Republican. Uh, my, my parents started to get more involved in the political scene and 
ask questions and study the news and start reading articles online. Now they're 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 campaigners. They knock doors. They make phone calls. They get it all done. But I'd like to say it was because of of the influence that I had on them. And what got me started in that direction was in that same time frame, about junior year of high school, I started reading some some books on philosophy. Eventually, I found myself in the world of Adam Smith, in the world of John Locke, in the, in the world of Rousseau. And it just challenged me to think about what I value in the world. And after just looking at the two-party system we had, I kind of knew I, I looked, I looked more, I leaned more to the Republican Party, but I wasn't fully there. And eventually, I found my base in conservatism, which isn't, of course, the Republican Party, but definitely has a lot of aspects of that in, in the GOP. What was it about those readings that you did, the ideology that you learned about uh, that made you think, yeah, this is the right one for me. This this makes the most sense. What were some of those values or some of those ideas? I always believe that one person has the unique power to change the world. And the only way that that could be executed in society is by allowing everyone the opportunity to succeed. Now, naturally, some philosophies kind of stuck towards that. You know, being a, a black man growing up in Montana, certainly a little bit different. And in some ways, my, my skin color was a superpower in the sense that I kind of stuck out. And so I, I kind of used that to my advantage quite a bit. And ultimately, what I just realized is that, you know, people are able to kind of write their own story, be their own hero in their lives. And that matched up with the philosophy of conservatism, especially when I wanted to spread it around. You had to ask yourself some fundamental questions. Do I want people to succeed by telling them this is exactly the 12-step program to success? Or do they want them to find out exactly what they're doing in their lives that's working best for them? And I, I ultimately concluded that freedom was the best choice for everyone. And when you go off to college, we hear horror stories all the time about going off uh, to, to a university and there is a, a certain bias. Um, if I were to take a guess, I would say that's not as prevalent in Montana. But <laughs> nonetheless, tell us about your experience in college, um, how your activism uh, increased or changed during that time, and, uh, and perhaps how you evolved on certain things during that time. Yeah, it increased largely. I remember um, one, of my, one of my great mentors, uh, his name is David Herbst, he asked me just these fundamental questions about what do I believe and why do I believe what I believe? And I kept reciting talking points without real substance like uh, knowledge behind what I was saying. And it was those challenging and probing questions that really forced me to explore my, my philosophy and my conservatism a little bit more so I have those answers for people. And that all started in college and that really solidified me on the activism route. Eventually I wanted to spread my ideas as much as possible. Um, one of the things I did while I was there, I was a student senator uh, for ASMSU, the Associated Students of Montana State University. And I was a three-term senator there. Um, the first first election campaign, I had a campaign kegger, worked out pretty well. Second election, I had a champagne campaign, which was a lot of fun, a lot of bottles of champagne. And then the third election, I just ran on name recognition alone. But um, I was definitely the token conservative in college. Um, and it was strange because some people were, you know, really are attacking from a point of identity politics. And for me to provide my perspective on how I view the world was certainly uh, would disarm a lot of arguments really quickly. And at, I just saw a lot of success. And I, I because I was being challenged by my mentors to read and really know what I believe in, that really just made me more of a rock solid conservative during college. And just having those debates fundamentally helps you define where you are. 
And so that was kind of my college adventure. I also started a Turning Point chapter. It's kind of how I got hooked up with the Leadership Institute, to be honest. A couple of notes on that. I would say first, you have a much more lively uh, student government campaign uh, than most people have. <laughs> I know I, what the college students want. <laughs> yeah, I, apparently. I, I Well, I, I mean, there's, there's some challenges on some campuses doing that, but I, I, I ran for student government as well. Um, my favorite thing to do, I don't know if you ever got this opportunity, but it was uh, the ability to shut down funding for things that would not benefit students, mm -hmm. like just random little pet projects. Um, and I took such pride in doing that. I was not liked because of it, but nonetheless, it's fine. Um, but no, so so that's it's. <laughs> I really like that idea for the campaign. If anyone uh, if anyone wants to be inspired by that, yeah, then, just like, oh, help. It, it's right. And then second of all, I would say you did something that uh, is is not rare, but we don't. I feel like we don't see it as much where people they accept these probing questions as an opportunity to strengthen what they believe, strengthen their ideology, whereas most of the times people will lock themselves either in an echo chamber or they view uh, they view the probing as as kind of hostility towards what they believe in. Right. And so I think there's a lot of power um, in admitting that maybe I'm not seeing this 100 percent correctly. So I'm willing to have that that conversation and see where I may be wrong or, or quite often where I may be right. Um, and so I think that's a really powerful thing that you did there. Um, do you feel working or, or, or seeing what happens on college campuses um, that those are even environments that are conducive to having those conversations where, you know, for example, people are are willing to uh, to have the conversation. Maybe I'm not right or, or maybe uh, I, I need to look further into what I believe. What do you, what do you think about the campus culture now? Yeah, I, I certainly think it's hostile to any opposing views these days. And it was Aristotle that said, the mark of an intelligent mind is to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Now, that should go hand in hand with college campuses, colleges across the nation about just making sure you're able to kind of hear all perspectives, have a marketplace of ideas, and ultimately let the best ideas win. But now it seems to be if you don't agree with me, then I need to silence you. You're not allowed to speak on my college campus. And what you're promoting is hate speech, you're racist, you're evil, and all the expletives that goes down the line with uh, a lot of uh, yelling and discourse on college campuses. I, I think that largely college campuses have, have turned to a place of groupthink and not a place of freethink. Is there anything that you can think of that you changed your mind on during college? And it doesn't necessarily have to be political, but some view that you had going in that changed by the time you uh, you graduated? Yeah, and it was actually in one of my, I was kind of along the same lines of you, as you in the sense that I wanted to save the students as much money as possible, and I was willing to slash things as quickly as possible. And one, one big thing I tried to do was actually um, shut down uh, our arts department. Well, not shut them down in the sense, but move them from a very popular spot in the sub that I felt was being underutilized in terms of student track, a student uh, movement. We tracked how many students were going in there. I didn't think that it was a uh, good return on investment. And so I wanted to move them outside of the sub, not completely defund them, but move them outside of the sub. And 
I had at least 150 students show up to the next meeting and every single one painted me as this evil person that wants to shut down the arts department. And they made some compelling arguments. And eventually, when I saw so much passion involved with this particular issue, uh, I, I felt that I needed to continue to exist. I, I changed my mind. And ultimately, the, the arts exhibit gallery still exists in the sub today. Uh, and that was something that I now support that I didn't before. Very good. That's typically the opposite uh, result of a, of a town hall meeting or, or, or something like that. So very nice. Um, so let's talk about as you get out of college and now you're transitioning into your career. Did you did you start it off at Leadership Institute or what was the first position there? Yeah. So immediately after college, I got an internship with the Leadership Institute and I was the digital communications intern, had a lot of fun over here and knew that I wanted to come back to the East Coast and more specifically the Leadership Institute. So they were always number one on places where I wanted to work. Now, unfortunately, the position that I'm in now uh, wasn't created yet, and I just created this new one that I'm at, but the one I got hired at wasn't even created yet, our digital training division. So there wasn't an appropriate fit for me at the time. So I spent uh, about a year working for a group called Turning Point USA, and I was hired on as a staff writer and eventually became the editor-in-chief of their online publication called Hypeline. And I spent a year there, had a lot of success. We had over 12 million page views in 12 months, um, thanks to the amazing team of contributors and everybody that was willing to help our cause. But eventually, it was about October of this time, uh, and so literally within 30 days about a year ago, I saw a job offer from the Leadership Institute. Not an offer, a job opportunity. And this was the only job that I applied for. I applied for the Leadership Institute's digital training coordinator position. And a, I got it. So I was extraordinarily excited. The le working for the Leadership Institute was a dream of mine ever since I interned with them. And I eventually was able to accomplish that dream because of what I did previously and kind of what kind of the stars aligning at the same time. Give an overview, if you will, of the Leadership Institute, because I've been to, I think, probably three trainings now, and I've they've been long, and, and, and they are, they are uh, they take a lot of mental energy, but they are so worth it, and I recommend them to people. So if you could give an overview of what the Leadership Institute offers and what kind of trainings they offer. Yeah, so the Leadership Institute, in a nutshell, trains conservatives, and we train them how to win. So we do that through a through numerous types of trainings. Uh, first and foremost, campaigns, uh, grassroots organizing, fundraising, the list goes on and on. Where I focus is digital training. And so we basically train in three big buckets. The first bucket is web development. And web development is where we teach Python, SQL, HTML, CSS, and all that fun stuff. The second bucket is web development. So we teach all the Adobe products like Photoshop, After Effects, Premiere, and so on and so forth. And then also Google products like Google Analytics and Google AdWords. And the final bucket is social media. And this tends to be our 65 plus crowd. So what is Facebook? How do I use a hashtag? And all of that. So we can make sure that everybody who's conservative can start um, battling online and start to win as much as possible. So that's what the Leadership Institute does. We train conservatives. I specifically focus on the digital front and making sure that we have a better presence online. Well, God bless you for training uh, the the uh, more mature conservatives on how to use social media. 
I appreciate it. Uh, it's it's like if you can improve one person's profile or, or one person's content one by one is how you get it better, right? Um, well, that, that that's awesome. And, and like I said, I definitely recommend that people check out Leadership Institute and find a training in their area and uh, and seek that out. Um, so as we talk about your career, one of the things that I find from most people that I've interviewed is they have a very clear sense of why they do what they do um, and, and kind of what their personal mission or vision is um, for themselves, for their career, for the world, things like that. What would you say is the reason that you get up in the morning? What drives you? What motivates you to do what you do? Yeah, one of the biggest quotes, that are two quotes that affect my daily life. The first quote is, make God smile. Thanks to my high school principal, wonderful quote. I think that viewing the world through that lens alone will make you be happier and much more successful. The second quote is by Marion Williamson, mostly famous in Coach Carter. Uh, and also, oh, I forgot the other movie, but it essentially boils down to when you let your own light shine, you unconsciously give others permission to do the same. And I just found great, great passion in those words in the sense that making your own light shine allows other people to be successful as well. Other people, if you smile, the people in the other, the same room as you smile. And I definitely feel the same way about my politics. And so I believe that, you know, the best ideas are going to win. And that's why I'm passionate about pushing my ideas to the forefront. And where that kind of led me is the intersection of technology and politics. And I've always been passionate about finding myself at that intersection. So whether it was my first job when I was the editor-in-chief of an online publication, making sure that we were pushing out things that advanced a conservative worldview, and then now what I'm doing is actively training conservatives to be more technologically engaged in the public policy process, I think it's making great strides. So that's definitely my passion uh, is the intersection of technology and politics. And I always like to say that my dream job hasn't been created yet. Because in you know five years, we're going to be in Mars. In, in seven years, an AI is going to be doing this podcast with you. And so I think that following that intersection is going to be a fun journey, but I will always find myself there. As long as the AI is doing the podcast with me and not taking over <laughs> my hosting position, then we'll be okay. If, it could exactly. pro- if an AI could provide editorial feedback, I'd be good with that too for, for contributors. Um, I would love that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, well, very cool. Uh, so one of the things that I've been, been reading, um, as we now, you know, millennial is the generation that we are affiliated with and it goes all the way up to, I think 35 or or, or something like that. The new generation coming in generation Z are teenagers right now. Some of them even younger than that. What I found interesting is that they are expected to be more conservative than millennials. Now, conservative in different means, I think part of that is more fiscally conservative because they really uh, have kind of seen the results of uh, they've been growing up in recession and and, uh, unstable economic times. But I also think that they see maybe socially a bit what's been happening and kind of how outrageous things can get in culture and they're more conservative in that way um from your role at leadership institute uh and and just your opinion in general what kind of opportunity do you think that this presents for people on the right 
and what challenges could come up if we're not careful with how we engage with and communicate to people in Generation Z? Absolutely. So there is an incredible opportunity to connect with Generation Z in a way that has never been possible for us before at that micro-targeted, granular level. And so if most people who already share our beliefs in Generation Z just need a hand, uh, a mentor to help lead them. And providing mentorship opportunities to these people, I think, would certainly do wonders, if not shake buildings for our movement. I think that would be an incredible step forward. Now, the reason that they may lean more to the right these days is certainly, I, I agree with what you had to say in terms of the economic conditions. Socially, I would also argue that everyone can be a celebrity now. Anybody can get a Twitter account and get followers or go on Facebook and start Facebook Live videos every single week and become their own pseudo-celebrity. So I think that the age of Hollywood is slowly dissipating. Well, I don't think movies are going away anytime soon. I think culturally, the younger people are more apt with social media and are able to follow their own mediums that they generally disagree with, uh, generally agree with, excuse me. And so I think that is another big push towards people being more individualistic. And that inherent sense of individualism is exactly what we believe. And so I think that as long as people are, are, are starting to realize the power that they have on the world, they'll quickly realize the best economic policies that make sense for them. Now, a big blunder that could end up by uh, that could happen on our side of things to, to lose this opportunity is to keep helping big businesses with crony capitalism and things of that nature. I think it's really important that we are preaching free market economics. I'm a big, big believer in it that the free market provides. It's not always perfect, but it definitely provides and has lifted more people out of poverty than any other economic system in the world in the sense that that's capitalism. And so I think we need to create a big distinction when uh, you know, the left might be talking about crony capitalism, that we're talking about real capitalism and giving everyone a chance to succeed or the opportunity to thrive in our country and be an individual and in whatever they want to do. And as long as we focus on the individual component, I think we'll have the, the next generation locked up in the best way possible. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned two things there that, uh, that are so vital about understanding that new generation is, first of all, um, the, not the collapse of kind of establishment celebrities or Hollywood celebrities, but you do have, it's much easier to become an influencer on social media. You don't have to go through the traditional uh, mediums of, you don't have to be a film star or a singer or someone like that to become, for lack of a better term, I guess, famous. Um, and so there are opportunities. And, and perhaps one of the things digital training does is, is gives people the opportunity to use their voice in a positive and productive way to kind of spread those ideas that uh, that put a conservative message in the best light. Um, and then the second part of it, I think they can identify just as it's said that millennials can identify when brands, when the government, when just or individuals and organizations in general are not being authentic. And I think the, the key for uh, for interesting them in politics in the future is going to be how can we present a positive, a productive, but ultimately an authentic and transparent version uh, of politics that uh, I think you and I could agree politics for most people can get fairly frustrating. Uh, it can get boring, uh, dare I say. <laughs> 
you know, there, there, there's a bunch of tension that can come up, but I don't think it has to be that way. And perhaps we're entering into this new era where we can start maybe uh, doing things that would cause it to be a little better. Um, so one other thing that I would ask of you of being at Leadership Institute is obviously you work with young budding leaders all the time. For people who are interested in getting involved in conservative activism and conservative media, um, they, they want to make a difference somehow. What are some of the best ways to get started? Because I often find getting started is the hard part. Um, it's not so much expanding, but it's getting started in activism or media or something like that. So what are some strategies or some tools that they could use to do that? Yeah. So one of the best ways to get involved in politics as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, and even as a college student is by working on a campaign that is local to your area or interning with somebody that you believe in or at least think you believe in. If, even if you're still trying to figure out what your real values and what you truly think is, you know, even through your 20s, it's still your formative years, so you can change your opinion along the line, but just getting out there with an internship, I think, is one of the best ways to do it. Um, us here at the Leadership Institute, we've got a phenomenal internship program. I would, I'm biased in saying this, but it's the best internship in D.C. Uh, certainly got me my, my second job. Uh, but whatever that internship looks like for you, I think that's the best way to start. And I wouldn't expect a paycheck the first time you're diving into politics. A lot of people had this conception that politics is a very luxurious world. And sadly, it is not. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of frozen pizzas, a lot of uh, the cheap beer and a lot of late nights just to make sure that everything works and then also just having that that ethic that you're not too good for anything so knocking on doors for example is one of the most powerful things you can do in a campaign to make a difference in swinging a particular electorate and some people think they're too good for knocking on doors and some people think they're too good for making those phone calls but those are kind of where you earn your stripes in politics and i would start there i know a lot of people uh who are trying to actively find ways to get involved in politics, but skipping the the work that uh, is not the most fun, knocking on doors, making phone calls. It's not fun, but it gives you that experience that you need to communicate ideas, to connect with people. And it also helps you climb that ladder in political organizations. And so yeah. I think I think that's probably the biggest lesson is don't be afraid to do some of that beginning work. Um, okay. I want to go into some, I want to go into, as we're wrapping up here, kind of like a rapid fire round, which just means that I keep the questions short. You don't have to keep okay. answers short. I just have a, I, some would say a talent for having these very long questions. <laughs> so I, I want to regulate myself a little bit. The first, Sounds good. The first one is, uh, and, and this is serious, Stephen, this first question is very serious. What is your raw review on uh, this upcoming Taylor Swift album and the single she's released? I think you've asked the most important question that you could have asked in this interview. First and foremost, I will say that the Taylor Swift haters are just going to hate, hate, <laughs> and hate. Now, her latest drop, and well, actually she just dropped two. Yeah. Her first drop, I should say now, uh, is nothing short of tremendous and is eye-opening the music video coupled with the song astounding and there's gonna be a lot of people that have always not liked taylor swift that are gonna be criticizing her but ultimately i think she's producing something entirely new once again 
And that's something that you don't see from the average artist. So I'm really excited for Taylor Swift's new album. I like to say in my friend's words, uh, Cabot Phillips, Taylor Swift is the Michelangelo of our generation. <laughs> so I, I look forward to her coming album, and she is the GOAT, greatest of all time. I love it. And, and for people who they can't see, obviously, but but you pointed out you have a Taylor Swift wall calendar in the back. Oh, yeah. Um, you, I will say you need you need like a life size cutout to fill your office as well. <laughs> maybe that'll maybe that'll come soon. Yeah, my coworkers away. They already know I love her. They don't even know that much. That much. If love anyone's that. listening, there, send Stephen a care package with uh, Taylor Swift material. <laughs> no, I agree. Don't, I mean, the, the video really made that first single. Um, and then that second song um, is the new hype video for football and, and any sport. So, yeah. She, I, I heard today she's uh, performing at the, uh, oh gosh, the the college football championships. Oh, that's amazing! In Atlanta, so in January, so um, it's it's one of the few things that will get me to watch football. So I'll I'm excited for that. <laughs> My second question: um, If you had a big billboard, uh, a, a primetime ad in Iowa during the primaries some sort of median medium to get out a message to a lot of people what's the one message that you would most want to get out to people definitely i think it's three words conservatism is winning now this has happened more in our lifetimes and in our short political careers than i would argue in the past 30 years conservatism now more than ever has a place in Washington, D.C., which has almost never been the case, and conservatism now more than ever is being examined and and chosen by people across the United States. We have almost every single governorship, I think we have 34 now, 34 active governors. We have uh, just incredible wins across the board on local elections, and that's where conservatism thrives. This is in local elections where people are able to choose what's best for their community. And that's ultimately what we're preaching, and I think that we're winning now more than ever. Of course, it's not perfect. We're not we're not just completely 100% winning. There's some losses along the way. There's some decisions maybe being made by the president that I generally disagree with. But overall, I mean, if you look at the 30-year game, like the Supreme Court, the governors, the state legislators, conservatism is winning big. Well, you have to be careful, though, because eventually you get tired of all the winning. that's what i hear we have to we have to rest before we get too tired tired yet (laughs) not tired yet what is uh what are either one issue or a couple of issues but issues that you see are coming down the road as they're going to be big issues into the uh into the future yeah so the first big issue that's coming up is tax reform and that's one of the emerging issues that i believe is going to happen this year other people in dc would would look at me with a dumb face asking what am I thinking but I do believe that this will happen this year it is a, a much needed promise to be fulfilled by our side and so I really look forward to that being able to happen that's one of the biggest issues and right now it's kind of just a small debate between uh, Paul Ryan and, and President Trump as to what the general tax level is going to be uh, and I think that's an easy way to settle because no matter where you're settling on that debate, it's going to be less than what it was before. And so I definitely think it's going to happen. I think that's our most pros- most most promising prospect in the legislature right now uh, on a federal level. And so that's that's the big issue that I, I look forward to. 
And as someone who just recently, I started my, my full-time job earlier this year, uh, I, I certainly hope that taxes will decrease soon because that's never a fun experience of, of yeah. seeing how much they take out. Definitely. Um, but I will not go down the route of the whole theft thing, and we won't we won't get into it because I wouldn't I wouldn't call it theft either. Okay, all right, we have an ally on the show. This is good. yeah. I'm a conservative. I'm not a libertarian. <laughs> I, I like to say conservatarian though. That's that's fair. Yeah, that's good. Um, very cool. So you mentioned in the beginning that you read some of the classics, and those informed what you believe and your worldview. Um, I'll ask this first question is, what is the book, the number one book that you would say influenced you the most? The book that influenced me the most is The Road to Serfdom by Frederick Hayek. Now, that was just telling us the dangers of giving away our individualism to state control. And that was one of the biggest things that influenced my idea of conservatism in the first place in the sense that I didn't know what that word meant initially. But I knew that I wanted free people, and I knew that's ultimately what I wanted. I wanted people to be able to do as they please in the marketplace as long as they're not harming others. Natural law, right? And so that eventually, when I read that book, everything started clicking very quickly. And that was one of the biggest books that influenced my, my way of thinking. Awesome. Yeah, we haven't had that one yet, so that's, that's really great. Now, I'm going to, uh, to make sure to put all of these in the show notes for anyone to look up. Um, now, if you were giving a book to other people, what are some of the books that you frequently give to others? Yeah, the number one book I give to people is Frederick Bastiat's The Law. I probably said his last name wrong, Bastiat's The Law, because it's a short, quick read. And I remember being a college student and being inundated with hundreds of pages to listen to every single day or read every single day, however you prefer to digest words. And I would suggest that one because it's a quick primer, enough to interest you in the ideas of liberty, but it's not a 500-page you know, book that's going to take away your life. So it's a quick read. It's about 70 pages. I hand that one out like candy, and also the Constitution. Essential reading, absolutely. Essential reading. Uh, cool. Talking about reading, there's a lot of news. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh I, I was just thinking today because I haven't been on Twitter in a week and it feels very weird. But the sort of thing about it today, like if, if there if North Korea did something crazy, I don't I would hope that Apple sends me like some alert because I have no way of knowing <laughs> yeah. within the past week. But uh, knowing or acknowledging that the news is, is very it's a very noisy industry. What are some of the ways that you cut through that noise? What does your media consumption diet look like? What are the top sources that you get uh your news from yeah so i use three and then i'll talk about websites that i use um, but the three widgets i say that i use before i look at the news are things that are going to pop up on my phone the first one's google alerts so i have google alerts centered around my favorite politicians i've got google alerts around my name I've got google alerts around congress depending on certain boolean operators and so that is a big one for me the second one is called buzzsumo and BuzzSumo is how you find trending topics of today. Now, this was one of my favorite tools when I was writing articles every single day. I like to say I'm a retired writer now. But BuzzSumo definitely tells you what's trending in the media, so you know you're hitting everything at its peak hype point. And so you're going to maximize the amount of page views. But now I maximize what people – now I see what people are talking about most often on the internet using BuzzSumo. And the third one is a website called uh, If This Then That. Uh, 
It's like ifttt.com. And this is something that you can set up. It's like Google Alerts in the sense that you can like set up alerts if something is happening. Basically, if this is happening, then that. And so if it's going to rain tomorrow, then send me an email at 9 p.m. so I know to grab my umbrella in the morning and things like that. So those are my three that really help me guide my daily life without getting just attacked by biases and things of that nature. But then when I'm looking at the media, when I'm looking at the news, I look at three websites every single day. I look at the Drudge Report, I look at Vox, and I look at the New York Times. And I look at those three, two of them being against what I generally believe, so that I know what the other person is saying. I know what the arguments are going to be, and I know what they care about. And if you want to reach someone on an emotional level, you have to know what they care about. And so I read two uh, left-leaning publications, Vox being extremely left-leaning, to just get an idea. And I also read the Drudge Report, so I know what my side's going to be talking about and kind of more of the, the a little bit more further right of my side is going to be talking about and just so I'm prepared generally for the topics of the day. But those are my six things that I use. Three websites, three widgets. Awesome. No, I really like I've never heard of BuzzSumo before. Highly recommend. Um, that sounds really cool. Like that I'm I'm excited to to check uh into that afterwards. If this then that is one of those that I like I go on there and I just could never find uh, a formula because it, it makes you set it up like a formula. I can never find one that I would really find useful, but um, although the rain one would come in useful for sure. Yeah, the weather one's the biggest thing that helps there. Yeah. Well, very and cool. also, if Taylor Swift tweets, then send me a message instantly. Of course, I already have first alerts on, but just to be right. safe, I need to cover my grounds. Yeah. I, quick note on that. It's uh, whenever she released those uh, those – I guess promo videos for oh, yeah. Look what you made me do. Um, I, I had mobile alerts turned on and, but by the time that I got to the post right as they came up on my phone, it already have thousands of retweets. So I don't know how yeah. people get to her first, but, but uh, dedicated fans. And I, I felt like I was falling <laughs> short. Crazy um, ones like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for being a guest. One of the things that I'm wanting to do in this new season is, um, because you've spent the time coming on this show, I want to give you an opportunity just to ask anything from the audience. It could be a question. It could be asking them to do something, to tweet something, to look at something. It, just what is a request that you would like to um, to ask of this audience? Yeah, um, actually, I'm pretty. I'm not going to ask them to take our leadership institute trainings, although I encourage you to do so. Um, what I what I would ask them to do first and foremost is is be willing to take out the trash and what that means is whatever you're doing in your career don't ever think that you're above something and so the person who takes out the trash should be the boss and if you are the boss then don't be afraid to do the small things and don't ever think that you're above anything so I would definitely advise and, and ask you to always keep that in mind if you're listening right now make sure that you're never feeling that you're too good for something because you're not very good. And, and where can people find you on social media if they want to connect further? Yeah, so they can find me on Twitter at Robots, R-O-W-E-B-O-T-Z. I like to slide my hot takes in as much as possible. Um, I like to say I, I balance funny and politics. It's mostly politics, though. I need to work on my funny a little bit more. And then also they can always feel free to add me on Facebook if they want to chat. Or they can find me on my website, digitalrow.com. That's digital, R-O-W-E, row. Dot com. 
And you can send me a chat message on my website too, and we'll connect. If there's any way I can help you be successful online or advice-wise, always feel free to reach out. Very good. And I, I would say that the politics is hilarious if you look at it through a, a certain lens. Um, it's its own kind of comedy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sometimes a, a sad comedy. But yes. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on, and, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you once again to Stephen for coming on the show. Please check him out and check out LI. They are a great ally within the conservative movement. And you can also find me on social media at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. And of course, at Outset Network on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are excited to connect with you. We're excited for this new season. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week's episode, take care. God bless. Thank you.